Welcome back, friends. This is Matt. This is Jeannie. This is Mutual Victory. Yay, Mutual Yay. Victory. Here we are. Here we are. And I think I realized I need music for when we do a segment that is, I've just learned something about you. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's I, think, uh, I think we need some, I just learned something music. I just, is it just like a ding? Uh, like a light bulb it, over it, your head? Yeah, but it needs to be a little bit more dramatic than that because these <laughs> moments aren't like huh well i guess sometimes they are mm. but sometimes it's like what yeah. yeah really yes i'm just grateful that you know you haven't learned everything there is to know about me at this point <laughs> i must have some depth you do well of course you have some depth if you didn't have depth we wouldn't be here we and i be here. And i don't mean recording this thing <laughs> um yes okay so, we can start off with a segment called Something I've Learned About You. Recently? Yeah. Okay. All right. Ready? Yes. Your, I won't say fixation, say attraction to Edward Norton. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was surprising yeah. and then alarming. <laughs> and here's why. Do you want to add anything before I go into this? No, I'm sure that everyone listening to this also has the same level of attraction to Edward Norton that I do, and I don't. I think this is the norm. That's fine. It's not a surprising thing. I'm not shocked. Like it's not like you know, you are just so turned on by Fred Rogers. It's like, <laughs> I'd be, then I'd be like, huh? Okay, shy little. It's not usually the place people go for Mr. Rogers. Yeah, probably not turned on. No. I mean, maybe your brain is turned on. Yeah, my brain. And your heart. <laughs> but not the nether. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I have a heart boner, but I don't know. Okay. Hard on. Well, this came up because we were at Trivia, and there was a question about who was basically who played the Hulk in mm-hmm. the 2008 movie, The Incredible Hulk. And it was Edward Norton. The and, best Hulk. And, and, uh, the best Hulk? Yeah. Tabled. We're okay. tabling that. Anyway, um, and the way you said it, you were like, yeah, I think you even leaned over to me like, the best Hulk. And you were like, he's the best. Like, I knew you liked him. Total smoke show. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was at the same night at Trivia, I said, really? Like, e- Edward Norton? Just because the way you said it, mm-hmm. it didn't come, I, I was just surprised. I'm like, that's interesting. Because he's not, he's handsome. Uh-huh good actor amazing actor right amazing actor physically underwhelming he just looks like a regular dude he's a slender dude but But this is what we could talk about on a whole other episode right but then the idea of like the difference between what men think women find attractive and what women actually find attractive oh like the male gaze versus the female gaze right okay in regards to like cis straight yeah okay again tabled Tabled. this is another good discussion Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then you quickly followed it up with, yeah, American History X. I know. I, I said, what? I know. <laughs> you know, that movie was so important for so many reasons. It continues to be so important. Horrifically violent, really traumatizing. And whenever it came out, which I don't even honestly know. Um, before I look it up, I'm going to guess... 2004? 
No way. I don't I'm really. Lo- I, I'm guessing. Okay. What were we well, going to say? Go ahead. Uh, that seems very late in my life for it to have had the level of an impact that it did. It just was like... Oh, I'm sorry. 98. Yeah, 98. I was like, I definitely was a teenager. Um, It had that like gritty, um, 100% exposing, you know, like, I I mean, and this is, this is going to get really not fun for a second. When the whole like Trump election, blah, 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 January 6th, all that stuff happened. And like really everything in the, you know, entirety of Trump's presidency Mm -hmm. and this alleged uprising that people were so shocked about in regards to white supremacy. Anyone who was like, I just don't know how we got here. Right. Or like shocked that this could be. This isn't who we are. I'm like, you didn't see American History X. Yeah. You didn't see that. Right. 20 something years ago. And that's another thing I thought I had since 2016. This is all not new. Like this is not. None of this is new. None of this is like, wow, this is weird. This happening like now. Why is all of a sudden like, no, this is the shit has always been here. Always. It's just now. Uh, been emboldened, in, emboldened, right? And yeah. it's you know coming to the surface, but this is nothing new, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's a fantastic, I think that, that you're right. It's a fantastic movie. I've seen it once, and that was enough. I have probably seen that movie twenty times. Jesus fucking Christ! Because every single time, it's like this, like. This is the history. We don't show this history in history class. Like, this isn't the movie where, like, hey, guys, it's the day before three-day weekend. We're going to watch a movie. Because everyone would lose their shit. It's it's December 21st, guys. We're going to close out this before the Christmas holiday. Before the Christmas holiday. I would like to show... You know, this is probably why I'm not teaching history anymore. Because what I wanted to be doing would have immediately gotten me fired. So it was just too many compromises. And it was because, like, people need to see that this is actually what's going on. And and this is the reality. So, so all of that. And then Edward Norton, who, yes, is, uh, you know, Edward Norton is the kind of man that, like, is reasonably attainable. <laughs> it's reasonably attainable. You know, like, you could... You could see Edward Norton sitting someplace and be like, I could I could have dinner with him. Yeah, it doesn't jump out as like a movie star. Right. Yeah. And he doesn't have that like energy, that vibe of like arrogance and all that stuff. The character arc mm. in this right. movie and ultimately the message, which, you know, much to your and the children's chagrin, I tend to come away with this like, such heart swelling message from these traumatizing movies. And then you guys don't trust me to pick movies ever. Um, the, the message ultimately is that it's easy to hate people far away. Right. And it's way harder to hate someone up close and personal. Yeah. It's just hard to trust you to pick a movie. It's like Wednesday night. We're going to relax after dinner. Honey, do you want to pick a movie? Oh, how about American History X? Well, there's going to need to be some lessons learned. Well, I mean, I agree. You know, it's just it's while it's like usually like while we're winding down from the day, it's not usually when those lessons hit, or maybe it is because we're just just shocked out of our seats because of like what did mom choose? What did we allow her to pick again? Well, you know, 
sometimes a hard-hitting lesson has to happen after dinner on a Wednesday because everyone is stuck in the living room. You're right. It's sometimes I got to Sometimes, you know, it's like you sometimes you want to have a nice calm dinner, but someone needs a yelling at or a lecture and it can't be avoided. And his Perfect ability, metaphor. Edward Norton's ability to play that character and mm. play that character really, really well, 100% belie- believable mm. in every single aspect of him moving from this horrifically racist, bigoted, white supremacist, like community leader to like ultimately working to not just change himself, but to have a mm. measurable impact on the rest of the people around him. It was just so brilliant. Right. And, and then it just set the stage for like any other movie at that point that Edward Norton ever has been in. I'm, I'm already in. That's yeah. all I need to know is that Edward Norton's in the movie. Okay. Well, good news. He is in the new, the sequel to Knives Out. Glass really? Onion. Yeah, he's in that. He better not be the bad guy. <sighs> okay. I get really... Who was the bad guy the other night when something we were watching? What were we watching? I don't know. But I was like, I don't like him as the bad guy. What was it? I don't know. Oh, I, shit. I need more. <laughs> That's all I got. What? That's all I remember. Uh, no, don't know. Cool. I mean, it could have been a preview that we watched for someone was the bad guy. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know about this movie because I don't want him to be the bad guy. Oh my God. So yeah, so it was shocking. It was more shocking that you picked that movie to be like, oh, Edward Norton. It's like hard to flutter. And then I was like, well, at the beginning of that movie, he has some considerable, I mean, it's like, as far as visually goes, I was like. It's pretty good for me. The bald, goateed, goateed, tattooed, useful shoulders, massive tattooed. I obviously have a type. If you like that, then (laughs) it's good news. Yeah, it's good news. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it was just so I, you know, it was not. It was the combination of who you were choosing and the movie you decided to use as the example. That Mm -hmm. was like the the combo was a surprise. I was like, what? Well, I think because it, it's my first active memory of like where I was introduced to Edward Norton because I don't remember when The Painted Veil came out. Oh, that's a good movie. Um, And that was like such a different side of Edward Norton and a different character mm. completely. And it still was like, God, this man is a freaking That came out in genius. 2006. Did I, is it bad if I say I liked the movie better than the book? No. Book, I forget why, but the movie went into like the relationship between the husband and mm. the wife while they're a little bit more, a little bit more. Yep. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, there's definitely something. I, I mean, I was just talking to Ashley and Sarah about this, like that I clearly have a type. <laughs> we were like, we weren't talking about Edward Norton, but we were talking specifically about bald men mm. and, uh, that like just clear physical representation of testosterone and masculinity, which is is baldness. Yes. Is like a bald, bald, a bald, bald, like naturally bald. And also like the shaved head Mm. energy, you know, has that like, even like, like I haven't cut my hair in a while. So it's a little telling like where it actually is when I have it. So it's typical male pattern baldness. I look like that dude in Empire Strikes Back and Lando Calrissian. He's got that not. thing wrapped around like half his head, <laughs> you, you know? He did not look like that. 
yeah, so it's, I mean, it's clearly something. And that, you know, initial image of Edward Norton in the black and white, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just had, like, stark. there was a pivotal moment in my 17 year old brain where mm. I was like, bald and goatee is the sexiest thing in the world. Huh. Yeah. Pivotal yeah. moments that shape our view is another fun topic. <laughs> it's true. It really is. It's like, true. here's the moment I realized this. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right? Interesting. Yeah. We should watch Primal Fear. You ever see that movie? I don't think so. Richard Gere plays the lead, but Edward Norton's in it. And it's like his first major role. I don't know if he was nominated for an Oscar. No way. Apparently he's very good in it. I mean, I don't super love Richard Gere. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. But like I said, Edward Norton's in a movie. That's all I need. I'm there. Okay. I am present. Well then. It's an interesting thing for you to learn about me. That closes the segment of things I learned about my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else before we get to what we were actually going to talk about? I don't think so. Cause I yeah. think anything else is going to tie into our topic. Of right. The day. I was thinking like if we recorded sooner, I would probably would have went into a little bit of like, Oh, the things we've watched. Like we've, we saw Thor four and we're horribly disappointed. Right. I watched the first three episodes of she Hulk and was delightfully surprised because mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, this ain't so bad. Um, yeah. 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 Thor four is a bummer. Yeah. It was like they It like, was fine. No, it wasn't fine. It was fine. It was not fine. I mean, I thought it was fine. No. You know what you know why? You know what I had the realization though that I think that you it's not gonna help you love Thor four in any oh, more. Good. I was know, looking Iota. for more ammunition to hate this movie with. I think that it <laughs> panders a little bit to non comic booky type of fans. Okay. In what way? I just it just in many, many ways seemed like kind of a generic story in and of itself. Like it was almost a little, all right, not like overtly, but in my mind, it was like if we took a comic book movie and we mixed it with a rom-com, right? it had some like, there's, there's like an underlying tragedy. I don't know. We, we can talk about this, how I, I'm having a theory that's slowly building and it's not time to talk about it in its entirety. But I think that Do you want to pen to write it down? Because you will forget it. I will not because oh, it's good. been in my mind about like, you know, like typical geek nerd fandom type of stuff. Then teetering over either into like heavy drama or... Mm rom-com to like hook in people who maybe don't have the buy-in so it can be more like a a general wider audience yeah i mean for me the hook and the buy-in like you don't need like it's sometimes it's comic book nerds or it's like oh this this character didn't do this thing and that's what they'd like in the book and they they didn't do this but i'm not talking about yeah i'm not talking about that no i know it's like for me it's like i don't care about all the minutiae Right. Of all that tiny details, it doesn't matter. It's like the buy-in is like, do you like this person as the a character. human? Right. Right. But it, that's what I mean. Like, if someone doesn't have a Thor buy-in, mm-hmm. if someone hadn't seen any of the other movies, uh-huh. they could go to Thor 4 and be like, oh, okay, this is the this is the storyline. Right. These are the people who have a romance or had a right. romance. There was a thing, and now there's some drama, and... 
you know, like. And you feel like they, you couldn't with this movie? No, you can. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, interesting. Yes. As a completely separate, if like. you take it as a standalone? Like yes. if you almost took it out and then would we be able to watch it and know what's going on? Yes. And, and like. Sorry. Not in the best ways. And um, yeah, that's what I mean. Like making it more, you don't need any of the prereqs to pick right. up what they're putting yeah. down. And th- which is funny that you say that because I think I heard an interview with Kevin Smith and he said that Stan Lee, I think, said any comic book could be a, any comic book could be a kid's first comic book. Mm-hmm. So you need to do a lot of like resetting. You need to like, Somehow, in a p- one panel or two, with two lines of dialogue, let whoever's, if this is the first thing they're reading, know what happened in the last one, so they know what's going on. Right. And the difference, though, is that any comic book could be a kid's first comic book. There still is the initial, I have the inclination to pick up a comic book, mm-hmm. whereas Thor 4 is, this could be anybody's first Marvel movie without giving two shits about anything that has to do mm-hmm. with marvel or superheroes or you yeah. know like gonna start the mcu uh let's use movie number 25 <laughs> let's let's go right there yeah no so anyway this is it's a developing all right developing tabling tabling me, so if i i mean it's funny like after like the week after we saw it every other day i'd be like and you know what else i hate it i know for me it boils down to tone mm-hmm. they couldn't the tone was all over the place yeah. it's like they were trying to be funny every single moment and then even things that were serious, they tried to be funny, which means like, am I supposed to, t- is this a serious moment or is this a funny moment? I can't tell. Tone is everywhere. Yeah. Like the first, like Thor Ragnarok did it perfectly. Like there's no pie in the face gag when Odin dies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they took that moment seriously and they knew other times in the movie to make it funny. This movie, it was like, even when they're trying to make something serious, it was like, let's undercut it with someone trying to be funny. It made me feel like we've all known this person who just like has to be the funniest person right. in the room. In the room at all times. At all times. Mm-hmm. It's like they can't, they don't want to read the room. They'd rather make a joke and try to be funny than read the room and see whether or not now is the right time. Right. So I think that was it for me. So. Mm. Okay. Uh, We're not here to talk about What Marvel. are we really here to talk about? We're here to talk about... Re- what are we really here to talk about music? <laughs> Because I feel like I say that often. What are we really here to talk about? What are we about? really here to well, talk about? It sounds like what we what we're seeking is like a like segue music a little bit, yeah. you know. Or right. a segue back. Circle back. Say that phrase again. I hate that phrase so much. Okay. All right. So we're wh- here to talk about That marriage, specifically marriage, I'm not saying that relationship can't be, and I'm talking about marriage right now. Marriage is an ashram. Okay. It is. It's a good thesis statement, title, bullet point. I'm curious. We're curious. Curious. I can't wait for you to explain more. Now, this came up not... Well, we had this... I think you had this idea before, or we had an idea to talk about this before, really. But then over the last couple of weeks, we have, like, we went to a wedding last mm-hmm. weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to another one in, like, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, like, weddings. Your and, sister. 
Yeah, we well, got one married in this summer, July, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we've, you know, it's been a year where we like have been around. I mean, you've performed a few marriages mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of been in the in our sphere. Um, so it's kind of come up, and like I think we were thinking about talking about weddings, weddings in particular, and then the marriage as an ashram idea. Yeah, we're like let's. This is this is one thing. So go ahead. This is one. This is a whole episode. A whole episode. It's a whole episode. You know, <clears throat> I think that uh, you know when I look at the the structure of marriage and I look at the more zoomed out experience and reflections that many people have, many of our peers um, have around marriage i mean think about it we call it like an institution of marriage can i pause yeah can you define what an ashram is in case people don't know sure so um an ashram is essentially like a physically speaking is a spiritual place you might go to an ashram to spend time in meditation reflection practice um now is this in the buddhist tradition Hindu tradition necessarily? I mean, it's... it's yeah, it's, Eastern it's traditions okay. uh, have ashrams. Um, and and we could we could shift the language over to like a sanctuary, you okay. know, yeah. marriage is a sanctuary. The tricky part about it is that sanctuary sounds like everything is like super chill. <laughs> it has that element of like, yeah. this is the calm space. We're going to yeah. go in the sanctuary. Relative to what's going on. Right. Whereas an ashram, like, you will be poked and provoked. Mm. You will reach an edge in your practice, in your meditation, whatever you're there to do, where stuff gets uncomfortable. Mm. And you, you're you learning things about yourself. You're learning about how you interact with other people. Um, there can be moments of, like, that squeeze of, this is awful, and I want to leave, you know? Um because there, there's, there tends to then be some kind of a shift or a breakthrough. It isn't, you know, ashram life for people who do this for a prolonged period of time. Like you are in service. You might be spending an entire day silently cleaning or cooking or you know caring for others. You're showing up. So instead of sanctuary, it sounds like a. To me, it sounds like a more accurate comparison is like maybe like a monastery. Yeah. Where like yeah. You're there, you're doing some spiritual kind of work, but also physical work as well. Like I'm thinking you said doing work, I'm thinking of monks mm-hmm. tending fields, making yep. beer, cleaning, making, while also collecting honey. While also uh doing their spiritual Yeah, practices. and prayer and reverence and you know, a a space of some kind of learning, some mm-hmm. kind of absorption mm-hmm. of something that is enriching soul enriching um and so yeah it could it could be monastery it could be ashram and when i think about how so often we we separate a lot of like deeply spiritual practices from day-to-day household life Mm. like you know if you want to go on a pilgrimage somewhere like you kind of leave all the day-to-day stuff behind to be able to immerse in uh, some deep spiritual work. And I really believe that like the deepest spiritual work and the sweetest spiritual sanctuary is in 
marriage. Oh. So oh. that's my opening paragraph for Good. my freshman a, research paper. A hell of an opening paragraph. <laughs> great. Five out of five. And we have been to a lot of weddings lately, and they've just been so sweet and very, <clears throat> very personal in the sense that, um, you know, your sister got married, my aunt got married. Uh, we went to a wedding last weekend. I performed a couple of marriages. Uh, and they've been the type of wedding mm. that is my favorite type of wedding. Oh. And that's the You have type a favorite type of wedding? Yeah. Oh, great. And that's the type of wedding where we talk about this a lot. You know what I'm going to say. The you, you know the couple. Obviously, you got invited to the wedding. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet, you probably know one person better than the other. Mm-hmm. You know, are you are you here for, you know, this side of the aisle or that side of the right. aisle? <clears throat> and by the end of the wedding, you know both people that are getting married even more. You have yeah. a deeper, more intimate glimpse into the relationship that they have built together. Yes. And that is my favorite that kind is, of wedding. Yeah, that is wonderful. And rare. Yeah. You know, I mean, overall, if I'm thinking of all the weddings I've been to, it's rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of times people plan weddings, maybe they think of just like the list of things they want in it instead of, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's like. Right. It's like the event, about, not necessarily the ceremony yeah. or it's the, you know, all fun things to think about. Don't get me wrong. Flowers, linens, food, cake, um, and less like how are we showing not necessarily telling oh yeah how are we showing that's the best (laughs) the people who show up for us to support us in this day who we are as a couple yep yeah you know because the thing about marriage and and weddings being that like step over the threshold the thing about marriage is it's like it's in my mind, it's this space of total, I mean, rebellion isn't the word, <laughs> but I want to call it rebellion. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm totally drawing a blank to what this this is. This is a lot of buildup now. It is. It's a lot of buildup. Pick better, any word and we can change shit, it. Shit, it better be good. This is it like watching a freshman try to write something. It's, it's like, like this protective, very very intimate space. Okay. That you don't typically get to see into. Okay. And so when we open that space up at a wedding, which you kind of do, mm-hmm. and you let people in people have a little bit more information of like, right. what is that sacred space? What is that, you know, what does the ashram look like? Right. <clears throat> so where does the word rebellion come from? Um, well, because think about it. I think that culturally and more so with these younger generations. Oh, these young kids. These kids. <laughs> these kids in their, uh, you know, like marriage is a construct. It's an institution. Um, you know, it's the government getting involved with something that is personal and something that is, you know, like... It's just a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper. (laughs) It's legal. You know, we don't need the law involved in my relationship. You know, and it's like, 
it's like actually this sanctuary space outside of bureaucracy hmm. like it is the place that like i mean you could you could do a crime <laughs> and and our marriage that just a piece of paper protects me and us from having to like answer for each other's crimes like I mean, we don't you sure said protects me am i the one doing the crime <laughs> well i mean you could well, i'm pro- unlikely it probably would be the other way around if anyone was going to do a crime in this room I don't know. It would it really depend. It would depend. I think we each have our own set of crimes <laughs> that we're capable of. See, we complemented each other really well. Where you're going to get arrested for blocking a road. You're going to do some sort of civil disobedient thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to come bail you out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a wild card. You're a wild card. Wild card. Don't you're, know. You're a wild card. I would I assert. Mean, if, someone, if someone came on the yard and tried to take one of our dogs, I'd shoot him with a bow and arrow. Wow. Yeah. See? Wild card, you know. Wild, yeah. wild card. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think that your crimes would come from a place of like protection. Oh, okay. So True. completely justified, I'm yeah. sure. But marriage, like, provides you with this cloak of privacy. Okay. And it's kind of like. This is within the, whatever the word is, the protection, the sanctity, the framework of this recognized bubble of intimacy and other people aren't allowed in. Mm. So that's what I mean by rebellion. It's like, it's like, this isn't like us falling in line to the government and, you know, and I, and I was reading, and I wish that I, I was trying to find this book earlier, and I can't for the life of me remember what it was. Uh, and I was reading about how in some, you know, really intense uh, controlling regime throughout history, they tried to dissolve the institution of marriage because mm. within it offers this level of protection. And mm. you can't know. You can't know the conversations that go on between a married couple right. when they are in bed at night. You can't, and nobody gets to know that. Mm-hmm. And that could be a threat to mm. a government that ultimately wants to have sublime control over all of mm. its people. Okay. <clears throat> so that's what I mean by rebellion. Nice. All right. We just circle back. It was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was Soviet Russia, actually. Really? Yeah. That that made an attempt to Make marriage illegal absolve. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Um, Minimally battled against it, like made it really hard and really unappealing. Hmm. You know, like it's no um, secret that there are tax perks. Hmm. There are other reasons <laughs> that uh, that the government does kind of promote and. Uh, encourage people to be in inside of that institution of marriage that legal aspect of marriage and uh and i think that you know there is such there's something so powerful about the bonds of love and family that if you really want to control a a populace Mm. that would stand in the way Mm. That's good. There was a book I found, I think, called Marriage of History that, you know, all the stars and planets lined up, I would have gotten my hands on it and kind of read some of it at least, 
before this episode. Well, now it'll just inspire you to read it, I think. Oh, totally. Just like tracing the idea of marriage as a, you know, political kind of, you know, for the like, you know, we see how much, how many shows we're watching and history. And it's like, I got a marriage. Marriage is for political convenience or for political reasons. And then like its idea of as a romantic love thing. It's pretty recent, right? I want to say like 1800s, maybe, maybe 1700s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like just how it's evolved in those, in the, in the West, I would say maybe Europe right. and, and the Americas and see what it's like, but it is really fascinating, especially in the past, like 50 years, you know, what does marriage like look like? And I think even like during the sixties or seventies, is like some like rebellion against marriage. It's kind of still going on. Like it's, just a piece of paper. It's like, don't want to be like, not tied down, but like seen as when you, I guess if you look at it, that's not as a place of sanctity or sanctuary. I mean, then what does it look like? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that like, we've also stepped into an era where marriage isn't a necessity. Hmm. Yeah. It isn't a necessity yeah, anymore. True. You know, like it wasn't that long ago that women couldn't have bank accounts. Right. Yeah. Credit you know, cards, bank accounts, own stuff, anything. anything. Yeah. Um, and so it isn't a necessity. And when, you know, in my mind, aside from the fact that, like, whenever I can put marriage in the category where it looks subversive, <laughs> I'm like, so, oh, I, oh, like I, sign me up. So I have some questions now. You have questions? If you're like, yeah, marriage is subversive. That's how I look at it. I'm going to be rebellious with this marriage. It Because it is. Because, it, I mean, it is. Like sometimes when, uh, you know, something shifts from being like, oh, this is the boring thing that we're going to rebel against, right? The institution of marriage. And then the pendulum swings in the other direction where it's mm. like, why would you get married? There's no reason to get married. We don't need to get married anymore. Like legality like we yeah. have ways of leaving people property right. that we don't need this signed right. document as the only way that we know that like someone's going to get the house right <laughs> um so without that and and the pendulum's shifting over into the like who needs marriage well then the rebellion comes back <laughs> in to being like you know this is actually a a really it's a really like subversive and uh, fun way to uh, to buck a whole different system, to buck right. a whole different ideology of like something that drives me absolutely insane in our modern world, which is fierce independence and individualism. <laughs> I hate it. It's such an illusion it is, that yeah. it gets all of my feathers <clears throat> ruffled. And I'm like, oh, yeah? Are you independent? I made a comment in a class in college as an undergrad. It was the Gilded Age in America. American History Course, the Gilded Age. Oh, that's sexy. And it was the least sexy when I signed up for it. <laughs> but it was it was very interesting. And the professor, this woman was talking about, like, the idea of the fierce individual, right? Is like, kind of... 
don't know if it kind of started, but it definitely gained momentum during this time, mm-hmm. especially like moving out west or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, she also said something about like the need for families in groups to work together. And this not in the same sentence, but in the same paragraph, or like she was talking. I'm like, and she stretched that importance. I'm like, doesn't this contradict the whole idea of this like unique and this like independence individual? Mm-hmm. So like it contradicts that. So it seems like it's more important. And this must have been in October. Mm-hmm. She referenced what I said for the rest of the semester. Ooh. There was at least probably every other week. She was like, like Matt said. Now maybe is because I said about three things the whole year. And it was like, <laughs> I remember what you said. There's only three of them. And the other two were this. Here's the, this. <laughs> it's the one, th- one of the many, many things that I love about you. That my participation in class is like tool albums. <laughs> Very infrequent. But when they drop, it's freaking. It's mind blowing. It's profound. Apparently. Um, I don't know if I would put it that way. What, that I'm profound? No, I would definitely say that you're profound. That still blows my mind. The, um, that when you talk, it is because you have something to say. And you don't just talk to like fill space now, and just air. Hearing that sentence, I'm mm-hmm. like, well, duh. I know, but that's not that's not the average, honey. <laughs> really? Yeah, people are very uncomfortable with silence. They're uncomfortable with stillness, you know, in a in a general It's sense. my f- two favorite things. Mm-hmm. I know. It's one of the things I love about you. Uh, yeah, it's it, it the the I'm going to rebel against marriage eventually <clears throat> opens up the opportunity to rebel against the rebellion against marriage, right? And um and that you know, we can be in this sanctuary space and i and it is that in a lot of ways when when you think about the outside world and um the the just safety and comfort and protection of being in a commitment like Mm. that and declaring a commitment like that i think that it also helps i mean i i would be on my mind if i didn't say that uh (laughs) there's a difference between the kind of like selfish, um, me-centered entering of a relationship, clinging to that fierce independence and individualism Mm. of a marriage that might happen in our 20s Mm. compared to a marriage in, you know, later on in life. And I do think that people who get married in their 20s can also evolve together and reach that part of, you know, later on in life where, where you realize, like, oh, this isn't about me. And I don't actually have to cling to my like fierce independence right. and individualism within this structure of marriage because in a healthy marriage, there is both and. It's right. like you're encouraged to do the things that make you you. Mm-hmm. And we get to learn from each other in these distinct ways that make us our individual selves. And also there's this <clears throat> space of being completely enmeshed in one another like the wedding we went to last weekend was mm-hmm. a, i hate to use the generic phrase a 20 something wedding was which is not meant to be derogatory at all no um 
And it was but, so sweet. Right. But oh. going into, and I didn't really know the bride and groom very well. Right. I think I met them once, maybe twice. Yes. So I didn't know them at all. Um, but you go into a 20-something wedding, like, oh boy. Oh boy. This is a 20-something. Well, I mean, if, <laughs> when I was 27 going into 20-something wedding, I'm like, yes. Right. It's going to be it's some party fun. time. Oh, yeah. Going into one at 40. Am I 43? Yeah. Shit. Uh, at 43, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> this is a wild oh boy. card. You do not know. I might know. be very tired. You do, oh, I'm definitely going to be tired. <laughs> but you do not know what to expect. Especially, I mean, I just, I just you don't know these people very well. Um, but yes, it was the, the sweetest, most adorable yeah. ceremony and wedding. Yeah, it was wonderful. Um, so, and I hate to say the phrase surprising because I don't want to imply that like I'm surprised that these two people would have a sweet wedding. This is the sheer fact. My only knowledge of them really is that they are 20-something years old. Right. Um, but yeah, it was adorable. But I'm thinking of myself at 25, 6, 7, and just like, when you hear people say like, yeah, you're going to change over the life in this relationship. It's like, I can't even begin to like, say like how true that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, words could not... I couldn't comprehend about the scope of that sentence. Right. You know what I mean? Like some parts I'm exactly the same person Uh, and some parts not. And it's like, part of that is like, yes, you have to be willing to like allow your partner to change. Um, But man, like looking back and reflecting on now as 20, as 40 something, God, it's -hmm. just insane. Which made me think like, I mean, I've had relationships, long-term relationships in my twenties and 30s and i was like not really like marriage was like never off the table but i was never like yes definitely um boy am i glad holy cow i'm gonna say dodge some bullets but wow. no I'm not, I'm not saying that uh-huh you dodge some bullets my mom would say that oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. mimi is savage mimi savage she does not give a <clears throat> shit anymore no she doesn't say whatever yeah. she wants to say you know hearing you talk about uh, an an ashram, as opposed to a sanctuary mm-hmm. where like you might get poked, you might feel a squeeze. I'm thinking of that scene in the first season of True Detective, Woody Harrelson uh-huh. and his wife Michelle Moynihan. Um, there's a scene like they're fighting, obviously, and he say like he's a state trooper trying to solve a murder, right? And he like saying to his wife, he's like, I want to come home and they're supposed to be calm. This is where the calm is supposed to be. And she's like, who told you that's how it was supposed to be? And like, I love that show. Like those yeah. eight to 10 episodes, I will rewatch every two months or something. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And I have a different opinion every time I get to that scene. Mm. Part of me is like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yes. Can you give the guy some calm? He just wants just to relax. Wants some calm. Now this, now he he's not a really redeeming character right so it's not like yes the poor guy deserves you don't feel bad for him in the moment i didn't anyway you right i didn't necessarily feel bad that he wasn't receiving a lot of the not calm he brought upon himself Uh yeah but just the idea that like this is the place for calm Mm -hmm. it's like sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like yes like if you're going out into the world and taking whatever it's giving you then yes you would like this to be like, oh, I'm home. This is like some peace and quiet and sanctuary. But like, it's not how it works. And there's always 
ten, I don't say tension, friction, or just like life also happens in the house. You know what I mean? Right. So like every every single time I get to that part, I catch myself having a different take on those. A different take. Yeah. Right. And and for me, it's there even when there is conflict, even when, you know, exhaustion happens, and life happens, and there's just one thing after the next thing, and there's that pokiness and, um, you know, the pressure. Underneath all of that is ultimately sanctuary and calm because you're not weathering it by yourself. You're not ever weathering it by mm. yourself. And so going back to the like, as human beings, we are not wired for fierce being alone and mm. fierce individualism. And we are so much better when we can come together and we can feel that energy of being supported and uplifted and held and um, yeah, w- within a relationship. And within the level of relationship that I believe that marriage is, it's like, yeah, there could be a huge storm happening where you're, you know, you're being thrown all over by the waves. And still, you know, that if you sink deeper and deeper and deeper into that water, there's calm there. Mm. Because you are held in this ocean of a really, really deep and loving partnership. Mm. And, um, you know, so that's, it's both. It's like, well, I thought that there would be calm here and, and there is, and it might be underneath Mm. this storm. That's just like bubbling up and has to be weathered in this moment. And, and beyond that, there, there's also the calm. That's good. That was really good. (laughs) Sometimes I can't even pretend to respond to it. I'm like, Oh wow. That was a good one. You said the word, I've said the word, partner. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the word partner? I, well, I mean, I grew up with lesbian moms. So like in my mind, partner usually is in reference to queer relationship. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that now these younger generations are just throwing this word around. So I'm like, wait, the second that I hear it, I just think people are queer. Honestly, that's my brain instantly goes. This happened yesterday. Mm. Someone was like, oh, my sister lives with her partner and the blah, blah, blah. And I was like, huh. In my brain, that, you know, was a yeah. queer relationship. Right. Um, I I like that it is non-gendered specific and... You know, it's def- It's not my choice. Like, I wouldn't yeah. love it if you were like, this is my partner. I'd be like, I am your wife. <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes, like, this is what I'm saying about the pendulum of like, we're not going to call each other husband and wife because we're rebelling against the like patriarchal da-da-da-da-da. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, for me, I rebel against patriarchy every damn day. It's true. You calling me your wife? Right. Like doesn't make me feel less feminist. If I <laughs> if I refer to you as my wife, or if I just call you wife. Yeah. Either way, is it totally both? okay? Yeah, I don't. I, I. It's not an i. It's not an identity or a term that mm. has like a. Ugh, I don't retract when I hear it. Um, no. You know. Yeah. 
Uh, it's it's just- a little bit like that scene in Outlander where Jamie spanks Claire. It's like, oh, I'm just call you me. have brought up that scene. I'm like, sorry, I can't. Three times I'm gonna blame week. TikTok. Honestly, <laughs> I'm gonna blame TikTok. I mean, you keep it, bringing it, it up. I don't... Playing that scene over and over. And I'm like, okay, TikTok. I have to do work. I can't be distracted by this right now. watching Spanking right now. Spanking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has a little bit of that. And, you know, going back to the, like, where am I rebellious? Like, sometimes when there's this assertion of i'm not going to use like i don't want to be called wife that's right. a you know that fits into this particular category then i'm like well you know i'm going to rebel against that yeah. because because really what i think rebellion is about is choice being taken away mm. you know like the second that there isn't like i know that i have choice mm. i know that in our relationship and our marriage in the community that we live in, the town we're blessed to live in, like whatever structure our relationship is and our marriage is, people are going to acknowledge it. We don't right. live in a place where it's threatened. Right. And so I don't need necessarily to cling to this title or that title. Um, I love being your wife. I do. I, I like... My sister is laughing right now. <laughs> I, I like... You know, when we make jokes about it, I like when you become like hilariously misogynistic in a moment just to like see what my, you know, gasping reaction is going to be to whatever nonsense just came out of your mouth that you're not actually serious about. It's more often if you ask for help with something. Yes. I ask if you you need a man to help. I need a man. It's funny. I mean, I asked about the word partner because, like, in the best relationships, it is partner. Like, life partner sounds silly, mm-hmm. but it's like, you treat it like partnership. Like, the the, the the wood guy called me back yesterday. Yeah. And, you know, I have no problem saying, this is great. I'm going to wait till my wife gets home. Talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no part of me that's just like, well, I'm making the decisions as the blah, blah, blah. Like, there's none of that ever. It's right. like, I'm checking with the other half like of this mm-hmm. team mm-hmm. like and that's every time i ever ask you something it's 90 per, well 60% of like i want your opinion about moving forward right there's 40% of like i don't know what to do mm-hmm. <laughs> or i have no idea what to do but like i mean it's like that's one of the things about good partnerships it's like valuing opinions and not just like what did you think of that movie i mean which is true but also, like, how could we proceed going forward? You know, I genuinely want to know what you think before decisions are made, before things are done. Right. So it's like I always, it's not like I'm asking for, I never feel like I'm asking for permission. Although sometimes I will say, like, I need to ask my wife for permission to do this. And it's mostly in, <laughs> it's mostly in jest, you know. It's yeah. like, you know, throw that around. Um, I mean, it's funny when you say stuff like that, too, because, you know, anyone who knows me, knows us, knows <laughs> that I'm like, I give everyone permission to do whatever the fuck they want to do. <laughs> like, it's more, does that it's, bring you joy? It's not, Go it's, for it. It's not really permission. It's more of like, 
do we have anything else going on that you know about that will prevent me from doing this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, not like and vice versa. Le- I mean, I'm not asking your permission to go do a thing. And it's like, how how does this create an impact? And that was true when all the children lived at home, even more so. And it's still true because we run a household together. And so when one of us goes and does the things and the other person is home, there's an element of like picking up the slack of mm-hmm. the things that, right. you know, we do in partnership together yeah. and as a part of running the life that we have. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the spanking earlier with <laughs> Jamie and Claire, and that reminded me of something. It made me think of, made me think of that one time we were in Italy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. Um, that was a joke. Oh, uh, I was like, wait, <laughs> what am I forgetting about <laughs> Italy? Which time? <laughs> Shit. That was a joke. Oh. Um, the new again TikTok. <laughs> there's another TikTok trend going around. Uh-huh. It's like it's a voiceover showing usually a movie clip or a TV show clip, and the voiceover is saying, "This is the moment where every ounce of feminism I've ever had went right out the window." Yes, and it's a clip of like a a male masculine hero doing uh-huh. something typically heroic and masculine, right? Yes. Like I've seen that clip where like. Daniel Day-Lewis is running up the mountain at the end of uh, Last of the Mohicans. Yep. There's also one with the mummy where <laughs> Rachel Weisz tries to walk out of the bedroom. Brendan Fraser turns around and like lifts her up over his over shoulder. Over his shoulder. Puts her on the bed and then he leaves and locks her in. And it's like, you are going to stay here and watch this kind of thing. Like, watch her. Is this the space to talk about like that idea? That like, why can you not have feminism Ooh. while also being in that position like mm. why do you have to throw out your feminism oh you be- you want to ruffle some feathers on this podcast today don't you oh that's me you know <laughs> you want to ruffle it's some like feathers. all these tiktoks of these jackasses just sitting in their house like oh, i know i'm gonna get a lot of hate for this comment I'm like <laughs> no one fucking cares dude no one gives a shit about your jackass opinion who the fuck are you <sighs> well on that note no one gives a shit about my jackass opinion either and we were talking about this in the car last week. Yes. I think when we were coming back from the wedding. Yeah, I think. Or was it from? No, yeah, you're right. That in yeah. order for, you know, my perspective is that we've we've somehow gone off course a little bit here with this idea of what it means to be a feminist. And I can get down with that the definition of feminism is going to be individual for anyone who uses that term to identify themselves. And yet, somehow we have mistaken that feminism means female and um, masculinity means male when, first of all, we all have masculine and feminine energy within us. And no one has all of one. And it, it is again, my opinion, a spectrum of like where we land on the masculine feminine spectrum. <clears throat> and somehow we have culturally made a lot of allusions to this idea that if you are a feminist, in order to express that feminism, we step into our masculine. Mm. 
And I think that it's because there is so much like, oh, just internalized misogyny and patriarchy that how we view power in our culture is through the lens of powerful masculinity. Mm. And so if, if we're not physically in power in a scenario, if we are not the ones that are having power over another, we are lacking our ability to stand on our own. Mm. And so to be feminist, we have to take power. Mm. And that's not the feminine way of asserting sovereignty. Mm. And so can we be and where can we be in our total balanced, sacred and divine femininity and also recognize sacred masculinity as well as something that exists inside us and inside other people. And, um, you know, we don't have to say things like this is the moment that all of my feminism left my body mm. because, you know, I want Jamie Frazier to bend me over mm. and spank me. You know, that, that doesn't make me less feminist. And it actually might mean that in that moment, I am stepping into that feminine of wanting to be... <laughs> Oh, (laughs) sure picked a hell of a scene as an example. I know. I don't know why I didn't go back to the Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Anyway. um, Well, here we are. Here we are. You know, wanting to be. Mm -hmm. Wanting to receive something. Wanting to be on the receiving end. Well said. Not the giving end. Mm. And, um, And maybe that's energetically. And, you know, to be able to surrender Mm. to something else is a very feminine experience. I mean, I I immediately go to, and some people will relate to this, uh, I immediately go to childbirth. Mm. There's no control in childbirth. And it is arguably one of the most powerful experiences and strong experiences somebody can have in their physical body Mm. is giving birth. It is, it requires so much and yet you have to surrender completely to the whole process. And the more that you think that you're in control, the more uncomfortable Mm. it's going to be. So where do we think of like sublime feminism is when we're actually surrendering to a creative process, surrendering to a nurturing process, surrendering to something that is outside of ourselves and feeling powerful within that surrender. Hmm. Nice. That's my TED talk. That's good. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. It just always struck me how like you, you like why it's now like a hero rescuing someone is now bad. Mm -hmm. Not bad, but it's just like, I don't need this. We don't need this. We don't need to be rescued. I was like, well, sometimes you do. Not always. Right. It's not always a thing. Like Princess Leia need, I mean, I said this before. I'm always going to reference this. Princess Leia was in a detention cell on the Death Star. Yeah, she needed to be rescued then. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she didn't always need to be rescued. Han Solo needed rescuing. Everyone needs a little rescuing sometimes. It does, yeah. Yeah. And I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we think of that as being like not feminist to need to rely on someone else. It goes back to the values of fierce individualism and independence, which is inherently patriarchal and toxic 
because it's not accurate. It's unattainable. Inherently incorrect. Yes. I I would argue. Yeah. Like very rarely is anyone going to survive quote unquote on their own without the, without some type of help from a larger community. Right. Yeah. And, and sometimes like, you know, going, going into that context again of marriage as an ashram, you know, sometimes what we need support with isn't romantic. It isn't, you know, the, the, the being rescued in that way. It's like someone in our lives that's holding up such a mirror to our habits, our behaviors, our things that we are given an opportunity to examine that through the eyes of someone else and make a decision on if this is who we really want to be. And sometimes there's conflict and sometimes there is a pushback. And within that back and forth, it's like, you know, together with support, we get to move through something that is potentially difficult. And that's why it's like, when I think about marriage and merging with another human, it's like, it's not, it's not the overly romanticized version of that. It's like, you've said yes to all of it. Mm. And if there is an issue that comes up, it's not like you're at fault. I'm at fault. It's like, we are working together to deal with the issue. You know, it's our, it's our ultimate cooperative game. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. I, I hate to use the phrase jaded, but sometimes I do get jaded around weddings. That's Matt here. Uh, I was re-listening to this podcast and realizing I wasn't really quite making my point, and I was kind of speaking pure gibberish. What I mean about being jaded about weddings is the frustration of seeing the importance of grand romantic gestures over showing up in the relationship a little bit every day, right? I mean, I guess Ted Mosby from How I Met Your Mother is a great example where he always felt that a grand romantic date and gesture was the way to win win a woman over instead of maybe putting in just like the everyday effort throughout the length of the relationship. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the the marriage aspect of it is like who you are being to each other with each other when someone's, you know, Shaving clippings are all over the bathroom sink. It sounded like a lived experience you just shared. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, what do you do with that? I don't know. It's like, what do you do when you walk out of the house in the morning and see that the car door has been left open? It's the weirdest thing. Like we've mentioned before that Jeannie doesn't close doors. So I've had to ask you every day, even when you pull the car in the garage, like, did you close the driver's side door? You literally, I walked out, it was 730 in the morning. I don't know. Car door was open. I'm going to assert it. I'm still saying it was the raccoon. I mean, it's had to be more than one. I think he couldn't have pulled that off himself. Um, Yeah. Who do you be in that moment? You know, does it become one of those things where it's like, I can't live with someone who, you know, leaves toothpaste in the sink. This is not something you do. That was just another example. Hmm. Uh, how do I live with someone who does this? Like, right. am I going to make this thing a bigger thing? Right. How do I communicate? Like, 
can I, can I ask for what I need without a tone? Right. Can I ask for what I, what I need and understand that I too act like a butthead sometimes and forget to do some shit and like have some compassion. Can I be like, you know, what's actually important to me is as much as possible that the sink is clean rather than, you know, you always do this thing and this is a thing I'm unwilling to live with. Like you don't get to see that and live and experience through that when there's consistently an escape hatch. And I'm not saying that people can't get divorced because obviously you can, and it's not all that hard. Uh, And there's something about that commitment level of, you know, we are, we are binding ourselves together. We are, you know, there's a reason we call it tying the knot or there's hand fasting. Like we are binding ourselves with the understanding that there will be these things that drive me absolutely bananas and it's never going to be enough to break that bond. Mm, right. Yeah. I, you know, sometimes I hear people say like, well, why bother getting married if you can just get divorced? Why just save ourselves that? Like you can break up anyway, you can get divorced anyway. What's the big deal? And I just am starting to appreciate the, like the level of commitment. Like it's a, it's an actual, it's a real thing. And it's a ceremonial, like I'm committing, like this is a lifelong commitment I'm intend to make. And I think that's, I think it's beautiful. Mm. Have you ever seen the movie Forget Paris? I don't think so. Billy Crystal? It's you about love Billy Crystal. I seem to really enjoy Billy Crystal movies. <laughs> I'm not going to be, not going to be shy about it. But he plays like a basketball, an NBA referee. And the story is like, he at the beginning he and his wife split up and like the wife sits down with her friends and she's basically it's like what happened and she's like here's the story and it's told like through flashbacks of like that meeting oh. them getting married and stuff and it's a pretty good like look at like a you know fictional look at a marriage right uh-huh. I, my religion teacher senior year in high school showed us this movie and like had because I think. I forget what the class was. The sacraments? I don't know. I went to a Catholic school, so I took a religion class. Mm. Maybe it was the morality class. I don't know. And yeah, we watched this movie and it had discussions about it. It's like, and there was uh, the scene where there, he and his wife basically had this very short conversation about like, well, I do this thing. Mm-hmm. And I, she's like, well, I do this thing. And he's like, well, I hate that. She's like, all right, I'll try not to do it. It's like, I always... I squeeze the toothpaste from the middle. She, he's like, I, I hate that. And he's like, I'll, I'll try. Right. And it's a very kind of short scene where like admitting these very minute, unimportant daily things that they both do that they might annoy each other with. But like in the scope of a marriage, it's like, can you live with this? Is this an annoying thing I do? Yeah, I find it annoying. But is this going to break that bond? And that's the point. Can I live with this? And it isn't the toothpaste. Can you live with being uncomfortable? Can your, like, (laughs) can your attachment to comfort, which is such a privilege, by the way, this idea that, like, we're all entitled to fucking comfort all the time is, like, what, what (laughs) world did you grow up in where you being uncomfortable, inconvenienced is a deal breaker Mm, you know like it's not about the toothpaste it's not about the hair in the sink it's not about the leaving the car door open it's like can you be with 
discomfort? Can you be with a frustration and not let it like create separation mm. in in your commitment to each other, in your right. relationship what, yeah. to each other? What can you what are you willing to deal with? Yeah. What can you be learn to be uncomfortable with? I will say though, honey, leaving the door open when the car's weird. out overnight. Mm-hmm. I mean, good a, thing we live where we live. Yeah, all we have to worry about is the squirrels and raccoons. Which stealing, opened the door in the first place. Stealing your debit card. And definitely the raccoons. Going to Vegas or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, and, and it's like, I think that there is this such incredible amount of privilege around, you know, I don't like this. And therefore, I refuse to live <laughs> to with tolerate this, this at all. To to have mm-hmm. any kind of tolerance that someone else might exist in this world differently than you do, and that you can't imagine, you know, acquiescing to the fact that they leave a mess in the sink. Yeah, or like, like I was gonna say, like. I know you ate cereal last night because the box was on the island and I had to put it away. And right. I know you ate vegan buffalo dip, but you also know that I ate chips because both of those things are still out there. Yeah. So how mad could I be? Well, and that's the thing is the the recognizing that for anything that somebody else does that's irritating to us, we also do irritating things. Facts. And, you know, like what's more important? <clears throat> what is more important? I personally can't imagine being like, you know what's more important? That my you know, that my sink is clean. And I would take that over sharing time and space mm. and every single bedtime with you and waking up next to you. And, you know, all like, that's the thing about marriage being the ashram mm. is in an ashram, you also don't have privacy in that mm. way. You don't, you have to be around other people. Yeah, that's, that's, Truest thing. And I haven't been feeling very well this week. So it's like, there's... It's all out there. It's all out there. <laughs> it's all out there. Everyone knows. Everyone, everyone knows. knows about well, whatever's I mean, going on. You know. Right. But that, Which is everyone. But yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, well, this is what it is. Yeah. This is what it's for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, and being able, day, to, day after day after day, to be with whatever is irritating or a rub about another person and every single day choosing that person over and over and over and over again, choosing that practice, choosing that ritual, choosing that, um, you know, spiritual connection over the minutia and details of whatever is going on. And then I think that there's like this level of marriage too, where, Knowing that, like, I would do anything to defend and protect our privacy, our union, the, you know, if we want to use the word contract (laughs) that we signed that, and we did, because that, that's part of the commitment to me. That's, that's part of what being in marriage is for me, is this understanding that, we do not walk alone on this planet and that every single day we choose each other 
And we choose each other because of all the things that make us who we are. And we choose each other in spite of all the things that we do that's just buffoonery. And we just keep choosing each other and this marriage, this merging Mm. of two people. And the awareness that, you know, if if we're going to look in the context of spiritual growth and... um, you know, consciousness and and that kind of thing, uh, anyone on that path would use language around like taming the ego or absolving the ego or some kind of egoic work Mm. that needs to be done so that we can loosen those egoic ties. And if we can't step fully into an idea of we Mm. and us, Mm there's still a whole lot of ego going on because that's like, there's no room for we and us when I is at the center of the focus. Yeah. When I is at the center. Well, it's a good thing I've tamed, conquered my ego. (laughs) It was, it wasn't that hard and I I did a really good job at it actually. Oh yes. The one, the ones, one's going to one, the one's going to one, the one's going to have the one quote. What was your one word of yesterday? Egregious. Egregious. Final? I do love when you, when you use that word. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, it's not like a Jamie Fraser spanking, but it's pretty close. <laughs> well, I was hoping for some final thoughts and I think I just got it. <laughs> this is mutual victory friends. This is Matt. This is Jeannie. Thank you.